Wednesday, September 14th, and we've been in the book of James. Yeah, that reminds me, uh, I, I know a preacher that he was preaching at a, I think, he, I'm pretty sure he was at a prison, and there were, uh, he had a whole room full of inmates, and he's, he, he, there was a thunderstorm that came through, and it was lightning, and everybody that was out there listening to his sermon or Bible teaching that he was doing, so a preacher from Tennessee, and he said that they kept turning their heads and looking out the windows, and he could tell they wasn't getting anything because they were so distracted by the storm. So he, in a loud voice, he said, Lord, stop this storm, you know, and he was, you know, just kind of be funny, and they never heard another thunder. And, and all of them started looking around and looking at him and going, and they, he said the rest of the Bible study, they were zoned in on him with fear in their eyes. He said he was just as surprised as all of them, but he acted like, you know, he, he knew it was going to happen that way because he is in touch with God. Last week we were in chapter 3 and we were talking about uh, how the tongue is just not, you're not able to tame it. Man is not able to tame it. And there was a little section out of uh, the Believer's Bible Commentary that I wanted to read to you, and, and I, I skipped over it. And is it, it, I'm just going to read this one little thing, then we're going to move on to chapter 4. So he was talking about this uh, flame of evil speaking spreads, and you know we talked about the f- little flame that, it was right, this was right after that story of, the, of the, uh, Mrs. O'Leary's cow that might have kicked over that lantern that destroyed Chicago. And it says, uh, this is just a little silly thing, illustrated by the conversation between two women in Brooklyn. One said, Tilly told me that you told her that secret I told you not to tell her. And the lady being talked to said, "Uh, she's a mean thing. I told Tilly not to tell you. I told her. Well, I told Tilly I wouldn't tell you she told me, so don't tell her that I did. (laughs) So does that sound familiar? Yeah. So the tongue can defile the whole body. A person can corrupt his whole personality by using his tongue to slander, abuse, lie, blaspheme, and swear. So, I wanted to read that last week because I thought that was kind of funny. So today, we're starting in chapter 4 of James. Notice the last verse of uh, of chapter 3, verse 18. Notice what it says. It says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Chapter 4 is nothing about peace. It's about war and fighting. So we're instructed in the last verse of 3, peace is mentioned twice, and then look how 4 goes. From whence come wars and fightings among you, Come they 
not hence even of your lusts that war in your members. So are you going to, he's asking a question, why is it that we have so many conflicts and fights in church? Why is it that you set a table and you threaten people that if you sit at this table, we're going to have a fight? And those listening on tape or podcast may not understand what I'm talking about there, but uh, churches split over the color of the carpet. There is all kinds of crazy things that come up. And so, if you have somebody that's being protective of the tables, you have to learn how to just let little things like that go. Um, if you, and, then, and then those people, if they really are getting mad over a silly thing, they need to you know, be checked as well. They need to think, you know, what does this really matter? And it comes from, we, we might say, well, the devil's uh, after us. The devil's trying to stop us from doing things, and it's, he, it's his fault. Well, right here it says, uh, of your lust that war in your members. It's really about us. The devil sometimes don't even have to do a thing. We're really good at getting into these fights and fusses all because of us. Ye, which means each and every one of us, right? Not just one person, but all of us. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. So this is about prayer. And we too often forget to even pray. We forget individually, each and every one of us, we forget to pray, and there's lots of different reasons why that we, we don't pray. Uh, some of us, you know, are prideful, and we, th- we want to handle everything ourselves. I've even heard people, you know, say, you know, say it's a, some type of an event, they're competing with other people, and they win the championship. And somebody says, did you pray that God would help you with that? And, and I heard one guy say, no, I wanted all the glory for myself. And he also said, and I didn't want to cheat. Because he, he's a person who prays all the time. But he said, in this sporting event, I wanted the glory. He's being truthful. He really wanted the glory. He didn't want to say, well, God help me. I did it all on my own. Because that sporting event means nothing, really. In the grand scheme of things, it really didn't mean anything. And he's so confident in his prayers, it's actually the same guy who prayed over the storm is who I'm referring to. Yeah. That just like uh, I can remember a long time ago when Sarah Palin was running, I think she was debating somebody on television and her little girl was with her. Her little girl was probably seven years old at the time. And the little girl said, Mom, we need to pray. And she's like, yeah, yeah, you're right, we do. And the little girl said, Mom, what do you want me to pray? And she's just, just pray that we win the debate. 
And her little girl said, oh, well, that would be cheating. Because she was so uh, believing that when you prayed to God that he would do things for you. And she was like, Mama, you need to keep it fair. If you pray, so I, I used, you know, Joseph knows, because we would go to uh, <clears throat> a football game, especially if, like if it was against Appomattox. And Appomattox, is, they're famous for praying before the game. And I, I, would, I would always say, look, they're cheating. Glenver better pray too to kind of even things out. So do you really, do you believe enough in prayers to where you would actually think it was cheating in a sporting event to pray that God would help you win? That's, I think that's saying something. So good Christians say, let the best team win. Let's pray that no injuries happen, right? We pray for those things, but it's what you do in preparation that is going to be whether you win or not. You don't want to sit around and be lazy and then pray that God makes it happen. So we can, we can do that in church. We can become very lazy and have this mindset that we just need to pray that God will, will, will make it happen. So we all sit around and do nothing. We don't put forth any effort. We just pray that God will bring people, do this, do that. It's extremely important that we pray for all those things. But then you've got to do things too. He wants us to be active and to do things. And that's what James is about. The book of, the book of James is about us being, we don't want to forget to pray because we're doing, 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 and it's all about us, but we've got to find that balance there. We, it's got to be both. Three, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. So, so it, when you do remember to pray, so there's a lot of things that we don't get accomplished and we don't get because we forget to even pray, but then there's these times that, that we remember to pray, but we don't pray right. We pray with the wrong spirit, with the wrong objectives, and we pray without the other things that go along with living a Christian life. It says in 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And it, notice how it started, adulterers and adulteresses. So we, that's, that's telling us something, that our prayers are hindered because we don't have a clean life. We, we watch things, listen to things that are not good, and we're, our minds are being corrupted. And we are instructed, you know, as we go down, we get down to verse 8, you're going to notice uh, cleanse and purify is in verse 8. <clears throat> so, John Phillips says, The Bible is full of illustrations of prayers of God's people. Think about, 
going through the Bible and all the prayers that are done throughout the Bible. So it's full of illustrations. Abraham prayed for Lot the night Sodom of, of Sodom's overthrow. Uh, Elisha prayed that the Lord would open the eyes of his companion to see what magnificent and invincible forces protected them. Do you believe that there are forces out there, there are angels out there that are fighting battles? And Elisha wanted that to be seen by his companion, and that's in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, verses 15 and 17. David, when he heard that the clever old scoundrel, and I have a hard time saying the name, Ahithophel, uh, had joined Absalom's conspiracy, uh, he prayed that God would turn the counsel of that dude, I said dude because I don't want to say his name again, to foolishness. God answered the prayer instantly by the appearing of Hushai, a man whom God, God used to defeat that counsel. Hezekiah prayed when the Assyrian army surrounded Jerusalem and when a dangerous propaganda offensive was launched to subvert the loyalty of the Jewish population. I mean, the most famous thing that Hezekiah prayed was to live longer. He was about to die. And he asked God to extend his life, and he did. I just threw that one in there. There's, I mean, because there's so many, many examples. He's just, he's just hitting the highlights here. Uh, but when Hezekiah prayed that, his prayer was answered instantly and miraculously. Daniel prayed when he needed wisdom to tell Nebuchadnezzar the substance and significance of his dream. God answered the prayer promptly. You know, when, when Daniel, uh, he needed an answer pretty quick because if he was basically saving everybody, not just him and his friends, but he was saving all of the other people that could not give the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar was going to just kill them. It was, it was a tough spot he was in. He needed an answer pretty quick, but he had confidence that he could get the answer, and he was able to tell Nebuchadnezzar's dream. We've seen many examples of uh, men of God being able to tell dreams. All right. Uh, God, Daniel uh, prayed when he faced the peril of the lion's den. Ezra prayed for divine protection when he led a contingent of Jews back to Jerusalem. The way was dangerous, but Ezra declined politely the guard that the Persian king offered. Nor did he pray in vain. Nehemiah prayed when word came to him of a desolate condition in Jerusalem. The Psalms are full of potent prayers. Apparently, Jesus prayed through Psalm 22 while hanging on the cross. Because when you go to Psalm 22 that David wrote probably, I don't know, 400 years. It was hundreds of years before Christ hung on that cross. And if you read what looks like David, what he's saying, and then you hear all the different things Christ said on the cross and all of what he would have went through, it's described in great detail in Psalm 22. I mean, it describes crucifixion better than anybody could describe it, and it was written by David way before crucifixion was even thought up by the evil people. 
You know how men are so evil, they sit around and think of worse ways to torture and kill people? If you go back and look at the history of England, I've been, I've been reading a book called the, uh, you're reading it too, aren't you? At the Making of the King James Bible, Faithful, Faithful Word or whatever. been reading that book, and you go back to England during the, the 1200s, 1300s, 1300, leading up to 1600 when the King James was actually writ, was translated, and the way they talking about being drawn and quartered. And if you ever watched the movie Braveheart, they give you an example of what it means to be drawn and quartered. Hideous way to die. They wanted you to be alive through most of the torture, and then at the very end, they would chop your head off. But, yeah, it, and it was a way to get information from people. They had the chair of nails, and they drove these spike nails up through the seat of it, and they would, like if they wanted to get some information from a woman, and they would strip her and walk her in and say, all right, we're going to put you in this chair. And she starts telling everything they wanted to know. They did that. So men are evil. Men, men without God in, you know, controlling them, without a, without a good, healthy fear of God, men will do terrible things. And it'll get worse and worse as they compete with each other to see who's the most terriblest. And we have all kinds of examples throughout history of really evil people. But they were burning men at the stake. It, so you had Roman Catholicism that did not want the people to be able to read the Word of God at all because it would really mess up everything they were doing that was very profitable. So whenever a person, and almost all the guys... I don't know how far you've gotten in the book, but all these different men who took on the trying to get a get a get a Bible translated into English so the common people could read it. Whenever they started doing those things, they were being attacked. They they had to, sometimes had to leave and hide. So Erasmus uh, had to run. William Tyndale actually got taken and burned at the stake, and they were talking about, uh, was it Bloody Mary, who had at least 300 people burned at the stake, all connected with trying to distribute Bibles that were in the English language. So they were doing good. They were doing really good things for God and were punished severely for it and died for it. And you might ask, well, why didn't God answer their prayer? Didn't they pray that they would be protected? You know, some were. But what happens is when someone dies for their faith, they won't back down. The very people that kill them start to have a change of heart. And the prayer that was prayed as, I think it was William Tyndale, he was burning or was getting ready to be burned. He would, right before they strangled him, he's... He said, Lord God, open the eyes of the king. Open his eyes. And the whole story behind King James himself, how he was months old when, when his father was killed, 
his mother had to had to run off and she was I think put in prison so King James was this little tiny baby and he was the next king and he was put in the care of of other people who brought him up and he was brought up a very solid Christian very solid and by the time he got to be a teenager I can't remember if it was 17, 16 or 17 years old when he took the throne. And he was an amazing king at a very early age because he knew the Bible extremely well. His tutors, the people who took care of him and brought him up, brought him up in the Lord. And he, was, he knew Scripture big time. Um, and he was, his, his reputation was tarnished way back, way back then, and a lot of it happened after he died when he couldn't defend himself. And then there was a, the plot to, to blow him up and to blow up the, the, the buildings where Parliament met and how they caught him right before it happened. The guy who said, hey, they had put all these powder kegs in the basement, and he was down there ready to light the fuse, and then he was going to run they had everything set up where he could run and get across a certain river and get away. And for whatever reason, I think it was through protection, God's protection, uh, somebody got wind of what was going on and they went down and caught the guy before he could light the fuse and, and got, it, got him and was able to say, who knows how many people were saved from uh, sure death from that. So all kinds of examples of people praying, and not all people, uh, it doesn't seem like their prayers get answered, but God knows best. So we can, we can pray for certain things and pray for protection, but don't think that it doesn't matter, because it don't always go the way you wanted it to go, because God does know best. You know, the people prayed for something in the, in the wilderness. They were getting manna every day. They got sick of it. They prayed for something better. And God sent them quail, and they all got sick from it. So they, they thought they got what they wanted, but God was very angry with them. <clears throat> Five. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist him. <clears throat> Adrian Rogers said, uh, talking about the devil on the run. Put the devil on the run. He said, have you ever thought of the devil fleeing from you? Most of us want to settle for a standoff. Just say, devil, if you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. That's what he's saying a standoff is. But he is not going to leave you alone until you resist him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not tell us to run from Satan. We are told to fight, and not in our strength, but in His, capital H is, 
and that's in Revelation 12, 11, and that says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The devil cares nothing for your resolutions or your intentions, but he fears the blood of Jesus Christ. When Satan gets on your case, bring the blood of Jesus and the word of God against him, and he will flee. See, the devil can't stand it when you pray. When you're trying to do things on your own, he likes that. When you have your own ideas, he's good with that. But when you start talking about God's ways, even if it doesn't really make sense to you, but you still talk about God's ways, and then you actually bow your head and start praying, he can't handle it. So we are to resist the devil, and he will flee. So does that give you confidence? Because the Bible says so. We, just, we can just believe it. Verse 8, <clears throat> draw nigh to God. What does nigh mean? Near. Draw near to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. All right, when I, when I read this, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. That's, that's telling us to do something. It says, get near to God. And when I read that verse, especially when I see cleanse your hands, because we just recently, just a few weeks back, we talked about, anybody got a guess what I'm going to? Huh? I can't hear you. Clue? Want a clue? I said a few weeks back. We, I did a sermon, and it was about a young woman who had a mother-in-law. Huh? Ruth. Okay. That story. Think about the story as a whole. Okay. Elimelech was the man, right? That was the man who went to the Moab. He represents the nation of Israel going away from God. He dies... His sons die. Naomi, I think, represents the nation of Israel coming back one day. We know Boaz represents Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. We know that Ruth represents us, Gentiles. She was, she was from Moab. She represents each and every one of us and what did she do? She made a decision. And what was that decision? It was to draw nigh to God, the, the, the real God. There was plenty of little g-gods in her area. She could have stayed with them. Her, her, the other daughter-in-law decided to stay. But Ruth made a decision that she was going to draw nigh to Naomi's God. So when she went there, she drew nigh to God and put herself in a position where God would draw nigh to her. 
with the Son. So when we make a decision, okay, why do we make that decision? Naomi talked to her daughter-in-laws about where she was from and how great her God was. They weren't being a very good witness because they had, out of lack of faith, they left God. They went through terrible hardship because they left God. And Naomi says, I'm going back to my God. And Ruth decided to go with her. Obviously because of what Naomi had talked about. So we, we have the Word of God. We should know it. We should talk about it. And those Ruths that are out there who don't know God might hear things and they may make a decision to come check it out. So that's the first step, is to talk about how wonderful your Heavenly Father is and get people interested in Him. And no matter how good things are in your life, how good things are or how bad things are, like, uh, I am blessed... Not that you feel blessed all the time, but I am. You know, when you have that kind of, you're always representing your Heavenly Father in doing that. So uh, we, have, we have a good example of someone who does that on a continuous basis, and we need to be like that. Okay, so when Ruth gets to Bethlehem with Naomi, she immediately, she wants to go and do. She's got this spirit about her that she wants to do. She doesn't want to sit around and do nothing. She wants to do, and she goes out, and God directs her steps, and she haps on the field of Boaz. It just seems like... And, for, for any human being that watches the story, it's just coincidence that she goes to that field. But no, there's a, a divine appointment. And you notice that she's there working in the field. She's gleaning. She's, she's going out and doing what poor people do. And Boaz shows up because he's a, he's a good uh, owner of the field. He's a really good person to work for. And the people, his workers, they love him. You could tell that they, they speak kind words to him, and then he speaks kind word back. And then immediately, he sees Ruth out there, and he went, whose damsel is this? It's like a Hallmark movie in the making. <clears throat> he, he sees her. Okay, so... We need to understand that Jesus is watching over what we're doing, and we will catch his eye, and then he's going to fall in love with us. Just like Boaz has, is starting to fall in love with this Ruth, he just sees her, and he has heard that she came, because he asked that question, they said, oh, well, that's the young lady who came back with Naomi, and they told him the whole story, and he went, I've heard about her. She made a wise decision to come back here. So is Jesus saying that about you? Is Jesus saying, oh, yeah, I know, I know who that is. They're coming to church and staying awake through a long, boring sermon. And I mean, they're, 
I've taken, I've taken notice. We love him because he first loved us, right? We see that in the story. Boaz sees her, and then he immediately starts to protect her, telling all the young men to stay away from her, and to make sure that she, when she's uh, trying to find the grain, that they help her out and make sure she takes a whole lot home. You know, you, we, we are living in this world, we have this Christian walk, and we happen to, I, I've told the story of you know, getting laid off from work. I work third shift, and 6.30 in the morning, getting laid off, and the supervisor who laid me off was so upset over it. He wasn't a real supervisor. He was actually an engineer from MIT. And he was young, very young. And he didn't understand the threat of unions and different things. And he said, when he found out, he got the list of who he had to lay off out of the department that he happened to be over for a period of time. He was like, no, I'm not, why would I lay him off? And why would I lay him off? I got plenty of others I'd like to lay off. And they said, well, you can't do that. You've got to go by clock number. So these are the least seniority people, so they have to go. And he went, this is ridiculous. So he came in and told me that. He said, he said, I don't like this at all. And then when I went to leave, he handed me a piece of paper. He said, call this guy. I walk out of there, and by 9.30, three hours after I got laid off, I was hired at another factory. Three hours later, I was hired. And I... And when I worked at that new place, there was this guy that worked there that was, he was, he was a jerk. I mean, a big-time jerk. And, and he, he didn't like being bothered. He was a set-up person, and he, if, if, any, if you were just an operator and something went wrong, you had to go ask a set-up person to fix it for you. You weren't allowed to do it yourself. Well, I came from a place where I could fix, any, I could fix it, anything, but... I wasn't supposed to until I got to a certain point. And if something broke, it was either him or this guy from over in Newcastle, or Catawba, named Dwayne. And he was awesome. He was an awesome dude. And everybody went to Dwayne. No one went to the other guy. His name was Dennis. And I picked up on that. So whenever anything went wrong with, with me, I always went to Dennis. Well, I knew it irritated him really bad. And he would fuss at me, cuss me, and just so that I would learn not to ever come back to him again. Something else go wrong, I'd get right back to him with a smile on my face. One day he said, he, he was all frustrated, he said, you're a Christian, aren't you? That's like one of the best compliments I've ever gotten in my life. And I just smiled and said, yep. He's like, yeah, I figured. <laughs> But God is looking out for you. When, you. when you see things like that and things happen like that, you get this feeling that, you know, I, I can remember I was reading my Bible, I was going to church and, and just trying to live a good, good Christian life and, and uh, little things like that happen. And it kind of gives you confirmation that maybe you're doing something a little bit right, at least. <clears throat> so... Ruth had put herself in a really good place by a decision that she made based on things that she heard. We've got to hear the Word. People have to hear what's in the Bible before anything's going to happen. And 
so, all right, this verse says, uh, we talked about drawing nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. And then it says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. It's just talking about prayers, right? Now, you're a sinner, and the Bible says that we cannot, we, God might not even hear our prayers if we have iniquity in our life, right? And double-minded is, there's a whole lot of times where you end up asking for things out of selfishness. So you got a double mind there. You're supposed to be thinking of others and thinking of God, but yet you want things too, and you end up adding those to your prayers. And there's times for that. But we have to be careful that our hearts are pure and our hands are clean, which that's where we do our thing. When you see hands in the Bible, it's what you do. It's, it's, it's not literally clean your hands, like go to the bath and wash your hands. It's, it's because of what you do, you do with your hands, basically. You click the button that goes to a bad website, right? You turn the TV on with your hands. There's a lot of things you do with your hands, and that's what it's talking about. When, when Jezebel was thrown out of the building... Remember, remember that story? Jezebel, the evil queen, and somebody came in and said, uh, would you send her down here? And they threw her out the window. That was pretty quick. She, boom, hit the, hit the ground dead. And then they went out to get her, to bury her, to do whatever with her, and the, the, the dogs had come by and, and eaten her before they could get the body. And the only thing that was left laying there on the ground was, was, I think it was her head and her hands and her feet. And what did that represent? She, her mind that thought up all those really evil things she did and the feet that took her to the things she did and the hands that did all those corrupt things. The dogs wouldn't even eat those things. And I think it was symbolism. This is kind of a gruesome Wednesday night, isn't it? It's rough. So in the story of Ruth, see, these things were coming back to my mind as I'm reading James, studying James, and I'm thinking, and when it says cleanse, then I, I remembered Naomi telling her when she had come home and they, they, they knew that all the harvest was happening, and she tell, Naomi tells Ruth, she says, uh, this, is, this is chapter 3 of Ruth, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Verse 3, Wash thyself therefore. Wash thyself and anoint thee. What does that mean? Put on a little perfume, smell real good, but it really means, you know, the Holy Spirit. So we're how does she wash? Well, in a natural sense, she is wanting 
this kins, kinsman redeemer, Naomi's told her about the law, that you need a kinsman redeemer who will buy the land back for you, and then this kinsman redeemer can marry you and bring up a son for your husband who died, and then all of that land would be back in your family, back in the family of Elimelech and Malon, I think was, the, was her husband that died, and it will put it back in the family. Redemption. Your kinsman redeemer wants to redeem you. So, if you want to make a good impression on this man, then you need to get cleaned up. All right, we, we're doing all this work, we get dirty. When I get home after a long day of work and I want to hug and kiss my wife and I walk in the doors, she's like, get away from me. You smell horrible. I don't smell it. Now, I, actually, I have smelled myself before in Walmart. I was spreading some organic fertilizer all day long and I went into Walmart. It was a hot day and I was sweating. My clothes were wet and I was spreading that fertilizer, organic chicken poo fertilizer and it had gotten all the dust of it had gotten stuck in that wet clothes and I, I remember going into Walmart and I'm like man it stinks in here <laughs> I'm going over here and it and I went down to it to an aisle that I need to go to and I'm like man it stinks over here too and everywhere I went it stunk but but I had the place to myself I mean there was nobody crowding me if I needed something I was there all by myself everybody left me alone but we need to be clean, not just clean in a natural sense, but clean, living a good life. We can't make those decisions. We make them every day. We are tempted to make bad decisions every day. And we, if we expect to pray to our Heavenly Father, we need to be without iniquity in our life. We are, she was instructed to get cleaned up. She had been gleaning in the field. She was dusty and sweaty. And if she was going to present herself to the person she wanted to marry, then she needed to get cleaned up and she needed to put some perfume on or to be anointed or purified, as James says, we need to purify ourselves, wash our hands and purify ourselves so that we will be presentable to our kinsman redeemer. <clears throat> we already know He wants us, but we need to get ourselves in a position to where we are acceptable to Him. We are to cleanse or to wash and to purify. So we need, we need the Spirit to direct us in our ways. So, you know, as, as <laughs> it's just kind of funny how you see something in James and it would remind you of something you saw weeks ago that's in the Bible, and it tells the whole story. You know, Ruth is only four chapters long, and it tells everything you need to tell. If you know that, those four chapters, if you know it so well, and it's inside of your mind and in your heart, if, if you just read it and reread it, you can tell the whole story beautiful gospel story to anybody you come, come to. Think about it. If you know it by heart, and you can just, that's pretty much what I've done. I've just kind of gone through it, telling it because I know it, 
But then there are certain places where you can just read it word for word, right out, you know, with the verses. And, you know, when she went to present herself to him that night, the Bible talks about how she uncovered his feet because he had laid down to go to bed. And she uncovered his feet and laid at his feet, and then he was startled. I think it was like at midnight or something. He was startled, and he's, he's, he's dark. He's like, who is there? And she tells him who she is, and he already loves her. And she's asking. Jesus is not going to come and grab a hold of you and say, you are going to be my bride. He's not going to do that. We see it in the story. Boaz has already done all these things to win her heart, and she wants to be his bride. And she, so, you know, people will turn that into something weird. He's like, well, she's sneaking in where he's sleeping, and then she says, put your skirt over me. And today, in America today, with all the trash that's on TV, you might get a bad picture there. But remember, there's this huge pile of grain. They're on the threshing floor. There are, the beds are made right all the way around that grain, and there's all these different families there. So they're, they're to protect it. It's not like they're in this uh, hotel room. <laughs> it's, it's out in the wide open. It happens to be dark, and she sneaks in. She had, Naomi tells her, mark the place where he's going to be sleeping before it gets dark. Watch and mark where he sets up his little bed so that when it gets dark and everybody goes to sleep, you know where to go over and lay down. You're going to uncover his feet. Ruth at the feet of her kinsman redeemer. Where are we supposed to be? At the feet of Jesus, right? And we ask him to be our kinsman redeemer. And he is very glad to do so. He just wanted us to come to Him and to ask because He's not going to force you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this epistle of James and, Father, this little book of the Bible that we tend to just go right over. And Father, there's so much in it. It's such a small book, but so much in it. And it helped remind us of a beautiful story that seems to be so short, so it could be thought of as being so insignificant, only four chapters in the Old Testament. But Father, you have given us the story, the wonderful gospel story that we can use to minister, that we can talk to people about, and to get them interested in drawing nigh to you, Father. And Father, I pray that you would help us, give us the ability and the right words to say, and give us those divine appointments to where we can put this to use. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who would remember to pray more. And Father, that we would want to cleanse ourselves, purify our hearts, so that we would be presentable to you, so you will hear our prayers, and that we will be a good representative for you. And Father, that we won't do anything that would hinder ourselves from being closer to you and 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 those who that we may witness to that we would make a good impression and father help us in all those things in christ's name we pray amen